You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Uh, John chapter 14, uh, we are in a brand new series uh, called What, where we are, are asked, uh, we are answering questions that people have asked. Uh, and we're going to start with a big one today. In fact, I had a friend of mine who is a teacher that sometimes when he would teach on these really great big biblical subjects, he would start this way and he would say, well, you know how you eat an elephant? And we would say, how? And he would say, one bite at a time. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do this morning because the question that came in was this, is who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do and why does he matter to the life of the believer? And I thought, well, that could be a 10-week series and we would still just be scratching the surface, right? So in the next 40 or so minutes, I'm going to try to tell you everything I can about the Holy Spirit in a way that is meaning, powerful, and practical uh, for our lives. So before we do that, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus this morning, and God, more than anything, uh, we do pray, just like we sang, that the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would show up in this place. Uh, God, I pray that you would make your word come alive to us. I, I pray that you would be real to us. I pray that you would stoke a fire in our hearts for you, that you would be above all things, that we would love you more than anything else, that you would be the first priority, and that we would give our lives to you and surrender to you and walk in obedience to you. God, we, uh, in this place, in this moment, we don't want anything to do with religion and rules, false teaching. We rebuke the lies the devil tells us, God, what we want is your truth. So God, what I pray is that you would give us the courage to believe, and then you'd give us boldness to talk about the things that we believe. And Jesus, that's all about you. So we ask for your help this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, as we were thinking about this, I want to start with a story uh, this morning. And I'll just be totally honest with you, as I always am. I don't know if this is true, but I just think it's a really neat story. The story goes like this, that back uh, in the day, uh, there was a southern man who owned a plantation that had been in his family for years. And he had a man who was a former slave that worked on his plantation. He was faithful. He was the best worker. He was the guy that always showed up early. He was the guy that stayed late. His yes was his yes. His no was his no. And he was just a faithful, true guy, full of integrity, the hardest worker. And he worked on that plantation his entire life. And so as the plantation owner was on his deathbed, he called in his lawyer and said, when I die, I want my faithful worker to receive an inheritance. He said he shouldn't have to work anymore. And so the plantation owner left that former slave $50,000. Now, in that time, it would be equivalent of half a million dollars. So this is life-changing money. This is a money that you could do anything you wanted to do, live the dreams you wanted to live. You could retire and never have to work a day in your life. And so the lawyer and the estate planner got a hold of the man who was receiving this inheritance. And they said, hey, your former boss loved you so much. He was so impressed with your work that he has left you $50,000. It's in the local bank with your name on it. You can take it all out. You can have it drafted. It's your money. Do whatever you want with it. And the story goes that the, the, slave, the, the former slave was so thankful and so impressed, but he never drew on the money. He never took any money out of the bank. And uh, one day, the, the former worker, the guy who received the inheritance, called the bank. And he talked to the banker, and he said, hey, my name is so-and-so, and hey, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute because my family, we haven't had anything to eat for a few weeks. Like, we're, we're going hungry over here. And I was wondering if it would be possible if I could take 50 cents out of the account so I could buy some cornmeal to feed my family. And the banker said, sir, you can take not just 50 cents, you could take $5. You could take $5,000. In fact, you could take all $50,000. It's yours. And he said, no, 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 50 cents will do. And see, the reason I share that story with you, whether it's true or not, is because I believe, according to the scriptures, that God has so much that he wants to give us. 
I think he has so much that he's already made available to us that the scriptures tell us that he came to give us life and not just life, but abundant life, that he came to give us forgiveness of sins, that we could be a people who walk in salvation and freedom, that the scripture says that we would become sons and daughters of God who are loved and accepted by God and that God's greatest present that he gives us is his presence that no matter where we go and what we go through, that he would be with us, that he'd never leave us or forsake us, but he's working in and all and through around us. But the reality is, is we're kind of like that guy that has $50,000 in the bank and we're just hoping for 50 cents, that we are not experiencing all that God desires for us to have and experience. And I think the reason that we're not experiencing all that God wants for us to experience. I think, the, I think the reason we're not enjoying or being satisfied with all that God has for us to enjoy or to be satisfied with that he's done for us in Christ's life, death, and resurrection is because we're just not aware of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I was uh, talking to a couple people about this message this week, and, and I'm just being as honest as I know how to be. Is I've been nervous for two reasons. Uh, the first is because it's just a huge topic. Uh, I think it's interesting because the minute we talk about the Holy Spirit, the room's divided. Uh, half of you are like, sweet, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is going to be awesome. Fire from heaven, miraculous signs. And the others of you, which I call kind of my, my stiff-necked Baptist friends, are like, oh, boy. We're talking like, like the Holy Spirit's kind of like the weird uncle at the party. Like we all know he's going to be there. We're just hoping to contain him. We're just hoping he doesn't talk to the kids, you know, and like, and so listen, and what's so interesting about this is the Holy Spirit was given to believers. So you could say it this way. The Holy Spirit was given to the church to unify the church. And yet discussions about the Holy Spirit tend to separate the church. So it's something we have to talk about. So I'm a little nervous because I know that everybody has their own little slant and angle. Some of you are really excited, and I praise God for that. Some of you are really nervous, you know. And so I know that I'm like, I'm walking the tightrope, and I'm okay with that this morning. I'm nervous for another reason, too. It's because the longer I sat on this, the longer I just kind of like let it kind of just saturate my own life, kind of like the percolator, the more I realize that this very well could be maybe the most important message I've preached to you in the life of our church. And so I want you to come into this with an open mind this morning. So if you're really, really excited, I'm glad you're excited, but still be open because I might offend you. If you're really, really nervous, come into an open mind because I'm probably going to offend you as well. And that's okay because what we really want is God, right? What we really want is the God of the Bible, not the God that we've created, we want a God of the Bible who's the true one, the risen one, the name above all names. So here we go. Uh, the reason I had you open up your Bibles to John chapter 14 is because this is where Jesus is instructing or teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. So I thought this is, the this is like the best place for us to go, is to see what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, I'm going to just read this whole passage and then we're going to break it down. It's in your Bibles. It's on the screen. Here we go. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and I want you to see this. The reason we're starting in verse 15 is this. What Jesus says, what he starts with, is this is about love. Okay, he goes, listen, if you love me, if you know that I first loved you, that's, that's what the Bible says the love relationship works, is we love God because he first loved us. So this whole thing is motivated by God's love for you, and God's love for me. So Jesus is saying, listen, you know that I love you, and if you love me, you'll obey. You'll follow through on this. And this isn't like rules, like do it because I told you to do it. It's because I love you, because I want what's best for you. I'm trying to put something in your bank account for you to draw on in your life. So if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus has completely confused the disciples because they're like, so you're leaving, but you're sending one who will bring you and will see you, but the world won't see you because you'll be in us, but you're leaving. So they're totally confused. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. That's so important. Underline that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The disciples were just as confused as you are right now. So wait, you're in the Father, the Father's in you, I'm in you, so therefore I'm in the Father. That's a lot of ins, but he keeps going. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We love all kinds of words when we describe Christianity. The one we hate is obedience. And yet Jesus says love always motivates us to obey. And Jesus says that when he, one of the ways he knows who loves him is because out of love we're motivated to obey him. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, this makes me laugh. Judas, not Iscariot. Could you imagine if your name's Judas? Like anytime somebody says the name Judas, you're like, parentheses, not that guy. Like you, you legally change your name to have an asterisk in it, right? Like Judas, not Iscariot. Like that's what you start going by. So John's writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hey, Judas, I'm going to mention. He's like, tell him I'm not him. I don't want to be associated with that guy. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So they're totally confused. They don't get this. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus says, listen, the way the, the world won't love me, so they won't understand this. But for those who do love me, listen, something significant is going to happen. Because you have my word and because you have the helper who is coming, the Father will be in you, I will be in you, we'll take up residence inside of you. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love the way Jesus finishes because he says, listen, when you get this, you'll understand it's good for you. You'll understand that this should bring peace to you. And you should understand that no matter what happens in the world, you'll be okay because I'm sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. So question number one is this, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, if you're a little bit of old school, a little Southern flair, you call him the Holy Ghost. And I'm okay with that, but we're going to use the name Holy Spirit. And so we're going to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And this is, this is what I love. I'm going to draw your attention back to John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus says it this way. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. The key word there that we miss in the English is another. Because when we think another, we just kind of think more, right? Like, so, hey, can I get another cup of coffee? That means, can I get more coffee? Okay, we can use the word another to mean similar to, right? But what Jesus uses is this Greek word that means something very, very significant. It means another of the same kind. So when Jesus says, I'm going to ask my father to send you another helper, he's saying the helper is another of the same kind. Now, what you want you to see all throughout Jesus' passage here is he makes this, these, these points that kind of weave together that he says, I am Jesus, and I'm the one teaching you the, the Holy Spirit's coming, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, who you also receive is me, Jesus, and the Father. So when the Spirit comes, you'll have the Holy Spirit. He'll dwell in you. He'll be in you, but you'll also bring my Father, and he'll also bring me. So when you get the Holy Spirit, you get all three. So here's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to talk about, for a second, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, which I absolutely know every single of you woke up this morning and said, I really hope to understand the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, and you, and you didn't, but that's okay. At the center of Christianity is the idea that God is eternal. Always has been, always will be. One of my kids this week, like just sitting at the, at the kitchen table is like, Dad, when did God show up? 
Like, if God created us in all things, who created God? And I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, we're going to talk about this. Like, God always has been. And we don't get that because we have a starting point and we have an end point, right? And, and we're surrounded by starting points and ending points in our life. But for God, he always has been. And for God, he always will be. That's where we use this big biblical word, eternal. Always has been, always will be. And what the doctrine of the Trinity says is that God has always existed eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where this gets tricky. God is one, yet exists in three persons. And yet, they're one, but they're distinct as three. Now, the reason this is important, because some of you uh, got drawn into this and you went and saw the movie The Shack, which I'm sure gave you the feels and was beautiful, but the theology's wrong. Because what happens in The Shack is they say that God is three modes or God has three personalities. Okay, and that's a theology called modalism. That says God just kind of like wakes up one this, this one morning and goes, do I feel like God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit this morning? And then he just kind of turns into one of them. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, uh, there's some people that say that there's like three little gods that make up a God family. That's what the uh, Mormons believe. That's polytheism, that there's three little gods that kind of make up a family of gods. And then there's something that's really prevalent in our society today, that God is kind of like the force in Star Wars, okay? That you just kind of feel him and you get the vibes. When you get the vibe going, he's just kind of like this force that moves uh, through you. That's called Socinianism. None of those are biblical. What the Bible says is God always has been, always will be, three persons, one God, Father, Son, Spirit. Distinct, and the word that we would use is deference between them. That Jesus would say, hey, I have come, and what I do is I only, I only use the words of my Father. Jesus never claimed that his teaching was unique. What he always said is, I tell you what my Father tells me to tell you. It's his words. And what Jesus would say is, I've come so that you would know my Father. And then what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is, hey, I'm leaving, so it's not me, because I'm going to go sit with my Father in heaven, so my Father and I will be in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come to be with you. Now, when, the, when I use the word deference, it seems as though there's a little bit of a chain of command, even though they're equal. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, yet there are three persons. Look at some of the ways Jesus talks about it. Verse 17, he says, I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit is coming, that I'm going to send him so that the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells in you. In verse 18, Jesus says it's definitely the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells us. It's not Jesus himself, that Jesus comes in with the Spirit. How about this one? Verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me and keeps my word, Jesus says, then the Father and I will come and we will make our home in him. So in the spirit, you also get the Father and the Son. Now, here's the thing. Anybody's head hurt yet? Mine does. I don't understand this fully, okay? And there's like really, like people try to make these really great like illustrations and every single one of them falls short. So here's my encouragement to you. One of the things I love about God is that he is so big and so vast and so just amazingly huge that the longer I walk with him, the more aware I become, there are things that will always be mysterious about God. And I love that. Because if I can fully understand him, then that means he's not that big. It means he's not that holy. Like, if I can fully download that God, then I mean, I mean, if I can fully understand him, that just doesn't do it for me. But to know that there will always be things about God that are mysterious until we're with him in heaven, like, I think that's a God worth serving. I think that's a God worth worshiping because there's just things that we'll never understand. And here's the thing, I get it. Because for some of us, we'll be like, well, like, listen, if there's mystery and if there's gray area, then I don't know if I can ever believe. Like, I don't know if I can take a step forward and put my trust in a God that I can't fully understand. But I want you to think about this. I love to go to the ocean. Probably, probably one of the favorite vacations that our family's ever taken is we went to Myrtle Beach. And like, we, we just hung out on the beach and, and we just hung out in the sun and, and that kind of stuff. I, I, I enjoy the ocean, except for sharks live there. And that's always in my head when I'm in the ocean. Now, here's why I tell you that. As of right now, 2017, 
we know more about outer space than we do the ocean, okay? We've sent people to the moon. Only three people have ever claimed to get to the bottom of the ocean, and it wasn't even the deepest part yet. We aren't, we're like, I was reading articles this week that said, uh, we still have not found the deepest part of the ocean because we don't have tools that can actually get that far. There are sea creatures, this freaks me out a little bit, there are sea creatures that we have yet to discover. So when you're swimming in an ocean, like, there, there's something down there that we don't know yet. Like, we don't know. Now, here's the thing. I would be a fool if I put my feet on the edge of the sand in the salty water of the sea and be like, this doesn't exist. You know what? There's mystery. There's things we don't know. There's areas that we've never been able to explore. There's parts of this that we can't download. Ocean, you no longer exist. That would be foolish. I can still play in it. I can still feel the cool water and the waves, the salt of the water on my lips, and I can fully enjoy and be in that experience. And I think the same is true of God. That even though there's things that we'll never fully understand, there's things that we'll never fully download, that doesn't mean that we can't believe. It means we enjoy what we can know. It enjoys what we can experience. And so I would invite you not to get hung up on the fact that God is so big that we can't fully understand him. I would invite you not to get hung up on trying to understand the super, super difficult things. That's why we, sometimes we have to walk by faith. Not that we mentally check out, but there's some things that we just go, God is so huge and he is so big and he is so holy that my limited, fallible mind can't always fully understand the person of God. But one day we will. One day when we see him in heaven, we'll know him. We'll enjoy him fully. And so the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, one God, three persons. Uh, there's some like, there's some old Sunday school kind of rhymes and stuff that, you know, say things like uh, God in three persons, three in one, the one in the middle died for me, the one on the end now lives in me. That's one of the ways you can understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity. And yet Jesus tells us that we need him. So let's talk about what the Holy Spirit does. Number one, the thing that Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit does is he inspires and he illuminates. And here's what I mean by that. John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Jesus speaking to his, his disciples, the guys who would go on to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures, what he's saying is this, is that the Holy Spirit will give them inspiration, that they will remember flawlessly by the power of the Holy Spirit the exact words that Jesus said. What it means for us is that he helps us understand the words that Jesus has already said. And so that, like, we get this inspiration. That, that, that's why sometimes, listen, if you've you ever had this before, you can read the scriptures and you're like, I, like, I just don't know. Like, I just, I don't get this. I don't know what it's saying. And there's other times you can get it and it's like the light bulb goes on. That's the Holy Spirit going, hey, hey, let me open your eyes to this. Let me reveal you the truth for this, okay? So there's, there's also inspiration, then there's that, there's that illumination that Jesus has spoken, that Jesus has revealed himself, and what the Holy Spirit does is then reveals the things that Jesus has already revealed to us. And so as every time we open the Bible, like every time I, I preach to you, I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit will do his work and that you'll hear what you'll need to hear. And I even believe that sometimes supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, you hear things that I don't even say, but the Holy Spirit's just saying them to you. And so he does that for us. Now here, this is why this is really important. The Holy Spirit never contradicts scripture ever. Can't do it. So like if you come up to me and you're like, hey, pastor, the Holy Spirit revealed to me something the Bible doesn't say, I don't believe you. Like, I just don't. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't contradict the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit doesn't go against Jesus. Jesus doesn't go against the Father. There's unity. And so, like, you can't read a verse and be like, yeah, but the Holy Spirit told me that one doesn't matter anymore. You're like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a different kind of spirit. That's another message for another day. But the Holy Spirit always tells us the truth about Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Some of us who are a little more reserved, a little more Baptist background, right? A little Lutheran, that kind of stuff going on. We might say, I don't know if I've ever felt the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you have. You have. In fact, here's, here's what I believe. Every Sunday when people walk through the door at, at the YMCA, which we turn into a church gathering, like, I believe the Holy Spirit's already at work in you because you're here. Like, if you've ever had a desire 
to understand the scripture, if you've ever had this desire of like, I need to know who God is, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. In fact, what the, the scripture says is that if you believe in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that no one can confess that Jesus is Lord without the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. 2 Corinthians 2 says the natural man cannot perceive spiritual things. It means if you understand anything about the Bible, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the reason this is really important for us as believers is because the Holy Spirit empowers us to remember. This is why you need to be in the scriptures all the time, okay? I think of it, I like to, I know this isn't politically correct, but I like to shoot stuff like targets, okay? I like to go shooting. And here's the thing, if I want to shoot a target, I first have to put bullets in the clip so I can fire them off, right? Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit needs you to load the clip with scripture, the more you're in the Bible, the more you memorize Scripture, the more you're in there, the more, the more tools he has to work with. Okay, the Scripture doesn't say he will supernaturally teach you the Scripture so you never have to read it. That's not what it says. It says he will teach you to remember. So just in my own experience, the more you've got in your brain, the more he can bring to remembrance, which is important because what happens is the Holy Spirit brings the Word of God to us in times of darkness, in times of difficulty, in times of temptation, in times when we're beginning to share our faith. That whenever we begin to start in these conversations, what the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit is the one that begins to work in us. In fact, there's this really crazy passage of Scripture in Luke 12 where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, some of you are going to be persecuted. And because we live in a nation where we have freedom of speech, like this isn't probably going to happen to us for a while. But what it says is some of you will actually be thrown in front of judges and courts. And what Jesus tells his disciples is in that moment, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will speak for you. Which means for us that when we get into conversations, when we get into situations, when we have opportunities to share our faith, that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak for us. And that it's something that he does, it's something that he desires to do, that the more we remember, the more tools we've already put in the toolbox, the more bullets we've loaded in the clip, the more ammunition he has to work with. That the Holy Spirit would supernaturally bring into us the word of God so that we can speak it to other people. And this happens to me from time to time, and it's not like this big religious moment. There's just sometimes I know there's something I need to say to someone. And in fact, sometimes you'll, you'll even hear if you really pay attention, I'll say, hey, I just feel like I need to say this right now. And usually that means I haven't thought about this all week, but in that moment, I kind of feel like God's like, <clears throat> go ahead and throw that out there. And sometimes I'll be in conversations with people and I'll just be like, hey, can I, can I mention something to you real quick? And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm just trusting in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they'll go, oh, I needed that. Sometimes they're like, did you eat something bad last night? And I'm like, I don't know. I just thought, I thought that was the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things he does for us. It's one of the things he does inside of us. In fact, uh, I grew up as a kid, like the NBA was great and the Bulls were awesome and Michael Jordan was still playing. And so like, I was kind of spoiled. I don't even like watch basketball anymore because it's just lame compared to my childhood. I remember an interview, I remember an interview where someone asked Michael Jordan if he like pre-planned his sweet dunks, okay? There's an interview and they're like, hey, do you practice those? And Michael Jordan said, no, I just jump and whatever happens, happens. I said, that's a great illustration for what happens when we walk in the Spirit. And sometimes we just get into conversation and we go, the Holy Spirit's inside of me. The active living God is inside of me. The one who recalls every word of Jesus is inside of me. So I'm going to go into this conversation. Whatever happens, happens. Holy Spirit, use me. You're at work. You're bigger than I am. Go ahead and speak. And that's something that the Holy Spirit does inside of us. Number two, he manifests God loves, God's love to believers. John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And there's that word, manifest myself to him. Notice that verse 21, Jesus says that through the Holy Spirit, that word manifest really means to make known himself to us. That maybe, maybe you ever had that experience where you just feel the love of God. Maybe, you just, like, maybe you've ever had that experience where you just like, feel like God's doing something. You feel his presence. You know that you know that you know that he's with you. That's the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit makes the love of God something that's tangible to us. I think of it this way. Uh, I, I have two boys who I know as they get older will be less and less open to my affection as a father. I know that. Mom will always get hugs and kisses. I know that there's one day I'm going to go in for a hug and my kids going to be like, whoa, 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 I'm too cool for this, right? I get that. 
So we, we in our family, we, we, we're in the habit of using the words, I love you a lot. We tell our kids all the time, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you. But this is the difference. There's a difference between us saying, I love you, and one of my sons saying, hey, would you, would you come watch, like, it's always their favorite show. Like, we never watch my favorite show, we watch their favorite show. I think that's a little bit of a ripoff, but anyway, watch their favorite show. And it's like we get on that couch, and all of a sudden they kind of snuggle in, and your arms around them, like, see, there's a di- that's that difference between saying, I love you, and that moment going, I feel the love. It's, it's tangible. Hey, this is, a, this is a, a moment that the Holy Spirit does that for us. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like one of the things we can actually do is when we feel like God's far, we feel like God's distant, like one of the things we can do is we can say, Hey, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you just make known your presence to me right now? that the Holy Spirit would work. And it doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen like that. And like, there's just this last week, there was some stuff that I was praying for, right? And I was just kind of praying and doing my thing. And, and this is how it works for me. It might work different for you, but I was just praying. And this doesn't always happen. So this is kind of a rare thing. There's like some stuff that I've just been praying about. And I was kind of frustrated. I was just going before the Lord. And I'm like, you know, Jesus, I keep praying. I keep asking. I keep giving it to you. And so give me more faith. Give me more patience. And like in, in that moment, because like this is another sermon for another time, but like uh, we as Americans tend to pray and then say amen and walk away. Like we don't give God any time to talk back to us, which I think is a mistake, right? It'd be like me calling you on the phone, saying everything I have to say, and then hanging up. I'm like, there you go. So I sometimes, I'm just trying to develop this because I'm ADD. Like I get into prayer time and like the text, you know, ringtone goes off or a squirrel runs by the window and I'm like gone. And so I just trying to like, I'm trying to do better at just saying, God, I'm just like, I'm going to give you everything I got for as long as I can just to, just to like wait. And like in that moment, it was like this wave came over me and it wasn't like you're going to get everything you asked for. I just got this moment where like it was confidence that everything was going to be okay. And so like I started texting Audrey, which like she totally didn't understand because I, I said it weird, but I was just like, everything's going to be okay. Like I just know it. And it's not that it's like any of it's in my control. I just know I feel like the Lord has just said it's going to be okay. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things he does for us. I love it. Uh, there's, there's a, a great theologian, Mort, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says it this way. He says that the Holy Spirit is the one that hugs us. It's the difference between saying the, fa- the Father's arms are open to us and feeling the Father's arms around us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He gives that manifest presence. Number three, he is our counselor. Uh, verse 16, he says, I'm sending you the helper, the counselor. Some of your translations say helper. Some of your translations say counselor. Uh, I, don't, I, I want you to have full confidence and trust in your translation of the Bible. Here's what I would tell you. We don't have a great word for what Jesus is saying. So like when I think helper, I think like assistance, somebody who's helping me do something. When I think counselor, I tend to think like camp counselor with their socks pulled up too high to their like knees and khaki shorts. I don't think that's either of what Jesus is talking about. In fact, the word he uses is paraclete. And the Greek word paraclete literally means this, someone who stands alongside you and speaks. Someone who stands alongside you and speaks. Now, this is where this gets kind of important. Because what Jesus said is, I'm asking my Father to send you another helper, another helper, another counselor, another paraclete. So what he's saying is it's one of the same kind of Jesus, yet different. So I would ask the question, well, how did Jesus stand alongside us and call out or speak to us? And so I'd say Jesus did this for his disciples and all those alongside him, that he would call out the truths of God, he would call out the kingdom of God, he would call out the scriptures, he would call out hard-heartedness, he would call out sin, but he would also point out grace and opportunities for it. So the Holy Spirit does this for us too, where the Holy Spirit walks alongside us and speaks for us. It looks like this. It means like when our hearts condemn us, it means when we're under that spiritual warfare, when things aren't going our way and we start to feel like, I'm not good enough, when all of a sudden the enemy points you to your past, remember all the things you've done that you're ashamed of, and you wonder, how could God ever forgive me for that? It's the Holy Spirit that calls out to you and tells you that therefore there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He just reminds you of the scriptures that Jesus already said to you. That no one, absolutely nothing, no height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor distance can separate you from the love of God. The Holy Spirit starts speaking those truths to you. When your heart goes astray, it's the Holy Spirit going, no, 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 that's not true. And the Holy Spirit declares the truth of God 
to us so we can feel it, so we can believe it, and so we can treasure it. But it's bigger than that. There's even times where maybe we feel like God has abandoned us. And yet the scriptures told us that he never will, but there's times, right, if we're being totally honest, I know this is true for me, there's times where I cry out, God, where are you and where were you? How come you didn't? I was asking and you never showed, like, what's up with that? And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us back to the truth. He reminds us of like Hebrews chapter 13, 15 that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit reminds us of these great passages like, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Or when through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. The Holy Spirit cries out the truth of Scripture to us when we're not believing it. When we seem overwhelmed with the things upon us, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one that walks alongside and cries out to you, no, no, it's not true, come back. No, no, it's not true, remember. No, no, it's not true. Be reminded of the truth. That one of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives is cries out and calls for the assurance that God loves us. This is what Paul means when he talks about the Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Now, there's one other dimension I want you to think about for just a second that the Holy Spirit does, and that would be like the scenario of a courtroom, that one of the things the Holy Spirit does for you and for me is acts like a lawyer on our behalf, which is exactly what the author of Hebrews says that Jesus does. Paul talks about this as well, that Jesus is our first advocate before the Heavenly Father. So what this means is right now in heaven, and I'll just use me as the example, It means that right now in heaven, Jesus stands before the Father like a lawyer. And he says, he says, Dad, I know Adam blew it again. Like I know he's he did some things he wasn't supposed to say. He thought some things he wasn't supposed to think. He, you know what? He blew it this week. He still he still wrestles with sin. And I know that you know it. And it's not that he asks God for leniency. He's not saying, hey, can you give him a little wiggle room? What Jesus does is he literally stands before the Father. Paul gives us this courtroom scene. He says he literally stands before the Father and he says, hey, you can't be mad at him because I took the wrath already. You can't hold it against him because I took the penalty for it. You have to forgive him. Because I died and I rose again for him. And he pleads that over and over again. So that when the enemy stands before the father and says, hey, look at that guy, Adam, who claims to follow you. He's not good enough. Jesus says, you're right, he's not good enough, but I am. And he stands forgiven, signed, sealed, delivered, blood purchased, son of God, nothing the enemy can do about it. And the Holy Spirit does that on behalf as well. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit actually goes before the Father and says, hey, remember all the blessings your children deserve in Jesus? And he asks God to give us the blessings that we deserve in Christ. He says, hey, they've been purchased. The money's in the account. Can we get it delivered? And that the Holy Spirit does that even when you don't feel it, even when you don't sense it, when you lay dead asleep at night, the Holy Spirit cries out on your behalf saying, Father, bless your children in the name of Jesus. Father, you know what they're walking to. Make that situation right in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit cries out over and over and over again. Paul says in Romans that when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Most people take that scripture to talk about tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, but it's not. It's about the fact that the Holy Spirit literally prays for things that we don't even know to pray for. And it's stuff that we can't even speak, that the Holy Spirit, being Father, Son, Spirit, third member of the Trinity, he knows God so well, he prays for the things that we don't even know to pray for. He asks for the things that we don't even know to ask for. He intercedes for the things that we're not even aware are happening in our lives, in our community, in our nation. The Holy Spirit cries out for that and invites us into a relationship where we can be one with him. Number four, he points to Jesus, points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's ministry is not to point to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to point to Jesus always. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, he will testify about me. Jesus says, you know how you know it's the Spirit? He'll lead you to me every time. I don't care what you feel, think, or sense. If it leads you anywhere else than Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. I love this illustration. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. He illuminates Jesus. That's his job. And the dark and the fog, he cuts through it to say, you need to know Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me, 
for he will take what is mine and declare it through you. A great theologian named Dale Brunner says it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit does not point to himself or glorify himself. He always points to Jesus so we can glorify Jesus. A theologian named C.J. Mahaney, who is a full-on charismatic brother in the Lord, says it this way. He says, all the gifts from God, including the gifts of the Spirit. So he's talking about the miraculous stuff. He's talking about healing and prophecy, the interpretation of dreams, the being able to look at somebody and say, I know what you're going through and God has a word for you. He says, all those miraculous things, the speaking in tongues, all that, including the gifts of the Spirit, are intended to direct our attention to Jesus and create fresh and affection for Jesus. Says the Spirit works to point everyone to Jesus. So if you're ever in a room, I'm just trying to equip you, if you're ever in the room and the Holy Spirit shows up and all of a sudden it becomes about the Holy Spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always brings the name of Jesus. He always brings attention to, affection for Jesus. Uh, maybe the, the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit recorded in Scripture is an Acts. It's called Pentecost. Nobody was worshiping the Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus was proclaimed, and 3,000 people got saved in the name of Jesus, baptized in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to equip you because there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of people that want to put the name of the Holy Spirit on stuff, and I don't think it's all Holy Spirit stuff. And I'm just trying to warn you without like wasting too much time. If it's not in the Bible, I don't believe the Holy Spirit's doing it today. So now I'm just going to go there. Man. So like, there's this big movement, okay? There's this big movement of like people gathering in churches and all of a sudden there's like glitter gold dust everywhere. Not in scripture. Like not in scripture. I, I got in a big debate with a brother that I loved the other day that part of his ministry is he prays for people and they get golden teeth. And I'm like, bro, well give me all of them. I'll get them plucked out and like we'll fund the ministry. Like, and he's like, it doesn't work that way. And I'm like, and once again, it's not in scripture. Like, I, like listen, Putting mud on a blind person's eye, biblical. Asking for someone's feeling, like tooth filling to get turned to gold, don't see it. I once had a woman, and I feel so bad because she might even listen to this, tell me that when she was praying, a diamond showed up on her seat. And I, this was my question because I'm a sinful person. I'm like, what'd you do with the diamond? She's like, well, it disappears. I'm like, see, that's not a miracle. Like, Jesus didn't feed the 5,000. All of a sudden, you got this plate of fish and chips in front of you, and you go to bite it, and it disappears. And so I just asked the question, when in Scripture did the Holy Spirit ever put diamonds that disappear under people's seat? Well, it's not in there. And I'm like, there's your sign. Okay, now, if you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. But I'm just saying, if the Holy Spirit didn't do it in Scripture, odds are he's not doing it today. Like, that's just my stance, and we can agree to disagree. I'm just going there, because he always points to Jesus. Number five, he empowers us for ministry. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Don't miss the importance of this. These guys have walked with Jesus for like three and a half years. They love him. Jesus says, it's to your advantage. Like, I'm about to go to the cross, and I will be crucified, and I will die and be buried, and I will rise on your third day, and I'm going to spend a little bit of more time with you, but it's for your benefit that I leave. It's to, I know you want me to stay. I know you love me. I know you want me to be with you, but it's to your advantage that I go, because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness in judgment. John chapter 14, verse 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Like that's two really weird things that Jesus said. It's number one, it's actually in our benefit that he would go so the helper would come. And then he tells his disciples, oh, by the way, you'll do greater things than I did. Can you imagine hearing that from Jesus? You'll do greater things. Like the feeding of the 5,000, you'll do greater things. Healing the blind, you'll do greater things. When the Holy Spirit comes and my Father and I take up residence inside of you, there's more. There's greater things to come. Here's where this gets really important. A few years ago when I was young and naive, I used to put cream in my coffee with a little bit of sugar. Now I'm just a straight black kind of guy. I just like it strong. Like, you know, I, I, the, I, the beard hairs grow the minute I start drinking it. That's good coffee. 
but I used to do a little cream and sugar in my coffee. And then, like, there was this whole health kick thing that kind of kicked in, and, like, like, everybody we knew was, like, Splenda. You have to go to Splenda. And so we put, like, Splenda in our coffee. And, like, the thing was, the first time I tried it, it was nasty, right? I was like, this is gross. And, like, I, like we even got invited to someone's home one time, and, like, they, like, made a dessert. And, like, like as you're, like, eating the dessert, it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're going to die. They poisoned us. And she's like, could, and, the, and the woman was like, can you tell the difference? I use Splenda. And I'm like, that's why this doesn't taste right. Okay, now here's the thing. So I was traveling. I was traveling one time. I've been drinking like the coffee with cream and Splenda. And it was like the first cup of the morning. That first cup of the morning, a little sweetness, a little, little cream. That was good. And so I was traveling and I was going to a conference. So I went through like a drive-thru of this little mom and pop coffee shop. And so I, I said like, hey, coffee, cream, and Splenda. You know, and so I went through and I got it and I was in a hurry and I took a sip. And I kid you not, like in that season of my life, it was the best cup of coffee I would ever have. Like, I mean, I was like licking the bottom of the cup. I was like, that was so good. So I went back the next day and I went inside. So the drive through and I said, oh, that coffee was delicious yesterday. I said, can I get the same thing? And I said, I got to know what is so good about your coffee? She says, well, how did you order it? And I said, I put cream. I asked for cream and Splenda, but I'll tell you what, it did not taste like any of the coffee I've ever had with Splenda in it. She goes, sweetie, we don't use Splenda here. She goes, that was straight sugar cane sugar. And I was like, Give me two. Give me two. Give me two. Here's why I tell you that. Here's why I tell you that. Here's why I tell you that. Don't miss this. The real is always better than the substitute. And we live in a culture where we settle for the substitute. It's like where we get a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit, so we just want to study theology. We just want to make sure we know lots of doctrine and we have big Bibles, and we need to do both. Like, we need to know that we're, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, listen, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit provides us with the power we need to live. In fact, don't miss this. This may be the most important thing I say to you for a while. The only way to truly live the Christian life is by allowing the Spirit of God to live in us. The only way. The only way to love God, the only way to walk in obedience to God, the only way to fulfill the things he's commanded us to do, the only way to live on the mission that he's given us is if we allow the Holy Spirit of God to take up residence inside of us and to live inside of us so that the Spirit can live through us also. So if we're not walking in the Spirit, then what are we doing? If we're not walking in the Spirit, then we're not walking in power. If we're not walking in the spirit, then we're like the guy that's got half a million dollars in the bank and we're looking to rub two corners together. So we have to get rid of the Splenda alternatives in our life. God never desired for us to be busy, religious, and arrogant because we follow the rules. What he desired was for us to know him so well and to be so inhabited by his Holy Spirit that we would walk with purpose, integrity, and boldness in the name of Jesus because the Spirit of God would be inside of us. That's why he says in Acts 1.8, hey, you got to wait in the city until you receive the power, the dunamis, that's where we get the word dynamite from, so that you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, the problem is, is we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is we, we, we like to just talk about Jesus, and, 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 that's, and that's the thing, because listen, the Holy Spirit always talks about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but let's not forget the Spirit. Let's not forget that Jesus told us it would be better for us to have the Spirit inside of us than to have Jesus next to us. And so we got to talk about this. Now, here's the thing, because I fully believe this, okay? I fully believe this. I, I saw this statement as I was prepping this week, and it comes from the Azusa Street Revival. All my charismatic friends were like, yeah, he's getting that revival in there. Here we go. It says, the solution to the problems of the church. So this, listen, this isn't about anybody else but you and me right now. Okay, we're just talking about our church, this church, the gathering of believers here. The solution to the problems of the church today is to solve the individual Christians' problems. And the solution to these problems is a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote to every error the power for every weakness, the victory for every defeat, and the answer for every need. And he is available to every believer for he lives in his heart and his life. The answer and the power have already been given in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
See, every single one of us has areas in our lives we're not happy with. Every single one of us have battles we're trying to overcome. Every single one of us are still facing the same struggles we've been struggling with. Every single one of us is wondering how we'll ever find the power to talk to our neighbor about Jesus, and you already have it. If you're a believer, it's already been given to you. It's the Holy Spirit. What the Scripture tells us is when you get saved, when you say yes to Jesus, when you respond to the gospel, it's a work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, but in that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit enters your life at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were signed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So like there's this big thing that people like to talk about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I tell you. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit enters you. Anybody ever bought a house before? When you buy a house, you have to put something up called earnest money. When, I bought, when we bought our first house, the realtor told me you need earnest money. And I thought, who is earnest and why does he need my money? Because I just didn't know. And they're like, no, no, this is money that you put, in the, you put in the account. And even if you decide not to buy the house, you don't get it back anymore. I was like, well, we better be sure we're going to buy that house. Because I ain't giving you that earnest money. I don't even know who earnest is. And what the scripture says, the Holy Spirit's like earnest money. That when you say yes to Jesus, he puts a deposit in you. That the Holy Spirit's a seal on your heart that it tells the world, it tells the devil, it tells everybody, he's mine. Nothing. You can't take him away. He's mine. He's signed, sealed, delivered. It's a deposit so that as we grow in our inheritance, we're already purchased, we're already sealed, we're already bought. Here's the problem. The question that we Christians like to ask is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Like you, like, you get around conversations, and like you read through the New Testament, the, 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 the early church would ask that question, do you know who Jesus is? Do you have the Spirit? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you have the Spirit? And the thing is, if you're a believer, you already have the Spirit. So the question is not, do you have the Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Because what happens, I think, in the life of most believers is the Holy Spirit is a deposit he indwells us, and that's about all we allow him to do. Like, yeah, he's in there somewhere, tucked away. Like, I don't want to get too crazy. Like, I don't know if I want that stuff kind of surfacing in my life. Now, here's the thing, because I know we're getting short on time. The biggest mistake we could make, and this is one of my fears for this message, the biggest mistake we could make is to make this about intellectual knowledge. Biggest mistake we could make is to walk in out of here this morning and be like, heard about the Holy Spirit? Check. Heard some Bible verses? Check. Know all about it? Check. We, as American Christians, are overeducated in about every single area of the Bible, including the Holy Spirit. Like just even this morning, I'm like just thumbing through the Bible in the book of Acts. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, stay in Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you receive the Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit shows up in such a powerful way that they just know it's the one. It's been prophesied forever. The Holy Spirit would fill the hearts of the sons and daughters and God to give them dreams and words and prophecies. And they knew it was. There wasn't one disciple that said, hey, can we get a Bible study on the Holy Spirit real quick, please? Can we get a 12-week program on who he is and what he does and how to walk with him? You know what they did? They walked in the power of the Spirit. Like they had the Holy Spirit for like a minute. And Peter's like, I got a sermon inside of me. He's like, I got to get this out so people can know. And he just goes in the street and declares the name of Jesus. And it says through the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter, this simple fisherman, spoke in such a way that the Holy Spirit translated what he said to every single person's language that was there so that it appeared as though he was speaking Greek, Arabic, French, whatever. And they're like, oh, he speaks my language so well. But the guy next to him is like, oh, he speaks my language so well. And see, the problem is we need to just walk in the Spirit. Like, I think we need to do what Paul says, and we need to be filled with the Spirit, which means he's already in us, but we need kind of a stirring up. I heard it illustrated this way. It's kind of like when you make chocolate milk, which is how you make milk better. So if you have a cup of milk, 
and you dump in the chocolate syrup, what happens when you, you dump in the chocolate syrup? It sits at the bottom. Well, that's no good, right? So imagine a cup of milk with just a little bit of chocolate syrup in the bottom. That's like the Holy Spirit just indwelling you. He's there, but he's down at the bottom. Now, what happens if you bust out the spoon and you, you stir that up? Permeates all the milk, right? All the milk turns chocolatey brown and good, which means it's good to the last sip. And see, that's what I think Paul says when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, you need to stir that up. You need to get some more in. You need to make sure that you're filling yourself up. In fact, the way Paul tells it to us is so simple. I'm going to end with this. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 21. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Okay, just, let's just take this easy. It's biblical. I'm just going to lead you in a biblical exercise this morning. How do you get drunk on wine? Come on, come on. People are like, I don't know. I'm a Christian. I don't know. I just don't know. Pastor, how do you get drunk? I don't know. How do you get drunk on wine? You drink it. And you just keep drinking it until it fills you up, right? And your blood alcohol level gets out of whack. It's called drunkenness. Now, don't miss this. Paul's trying to make this so clear. He's like, you all know how to get drunk. You've all seen drunk people, right? So don't get drunk on wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled in the Spirit. So what Paul's going is keep taking that in. Keep getting filled up. Belly up to the table and keep getting filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, I think what he gives us is the ways that he gets filled up, Okay. He says, but address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's like speak the word of God to each other. Greet one another with the word of God. Speak the psalms over one another. Bless one another. Just get together and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his countenance shine upon you, brother. Fill each other up. I love this because this is, this is going to bless some of you. Sing. And some of you go, but I can't sing. And he says, then just make a melody. Okay, just do what you do. Sing and make a melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's like, just get filled up. Get filled up so you can be bold. Get filled up so the Spirit of God is inside of you. Get filled up so that the helper, the counselor, can point you to Jesus, remind you of everything that he said, make the word come alive to you so that you can live with boldness for the sake of ministry so that even when you doubt, the Holy Spirit can stir you up to say, but he loves you. Don't forget who he is. So that even when people have threats against you, you can stand and preach, but the Spirit of God is inside of me. It means that whenever you go, wherever you do, wherever you're at, the living God lives inside of you. Always. So don't be afraid. What's the worst that could happen? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Therefore, you can never be far from God. Therefore, God always knows what's going on with you. It means every time you speak, the Word of God can come out of you because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. So be filled. Be completely and totally intoxicated with the Spirit. Let the Spirit permeate every thought, every action, every deed of your life. And here's the deal. This is my final thought. We tend to think if we're so filled with the Spirit, then the miraculous will happen. Well, if I'm filled with the Spirit, will I speak in tongues? Maybe. If I'm filled with the Spirit, will I prophesy? Maybe. If I'm filled with the Spirit, can I heal people? Maybe. If I'm filled with the Spirit, will I be able to interpretate dreams? Maybe. But you know what the number one sign in the New Testament is that people are filled with the Spirit? The number one is that they have a courageous boldness to declare the Word of God. The number one. The number one. The way you knew someone loved Jesus and was filled with the Spirit is because they declared the gospel to people without reservation, without retreat, without regret. To the point that someone could have a sword pointed at them and they go, but the Spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm not afraid of your sword. You should be afraid of what lives inside of me. You need to get saved, brother, and just preach the word of God to people. So listen, be filled with the Holy Spirit.
And here's the deal. Maybe there's some of us here today, right? Maybe there's some of us here who go, hey, but I've never made, I've never made that. I've, ne- I, I don't, I've never made Jesus the Lord. I've never surrendered to him as my Savior. Then maybe the whole reason you're here today is because God wants you to know that he loves you. And the reason that he wanted you here today is so that you know that you could be saved from all your sin by Jesus, that the spirit of the living God would be deposited inside of you, the helper, the counselor, the paraclete, who would make you new, and who would do all these things in the name of Jesus to glorify Jesus in your life, and salvation is available to you today. Here's what I'm about you to do. I'm going to invite you all to stand up, because I'm just going to do the benediction now and get it out of the way, and then we're going to sing some songs about God to Jesus, because that's what we do. So here we go. Here's my benediction for you this morning from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. After hearing this today, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you in hope. Let me pray for you. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus today. And we thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus. We thank you that there's salvation in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus tells us that it's actually beneficial for us that he is now seated at the right hand of you in heaven, God, so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for every single person in this room who believes in you, who is a Christ follower, who has confessed with their mouth and believes in their heart that you are Lord, that you've already made a deposit in their lives. You already put the earnest money down, and that's your Holy Spirit, that we are signed by the Holy Spirit, that you give us gifts, that you work in us, that the, the reason that we're here today, God, is because you drew us in. You're already at work. But what I pray for is more. God, I pray for every single one of us in this room that you would fill us up. God, that you would stir up your spirit inside of us, that it would permeate. God, that we would be so filled with you that it would be the overflow of our mouths that would give you praise, that it would be the overflow of our hearts that speak the truth to our neighbors, that it would be the overflow of your spirit inside of us, that we would stand before mountains and tell them to move in the name of Jesus. I pray for that, God. Because the solution to everything we face, to all our fear, to all our anxiety, to all our sin, to all our hurt, is you. So God, give us what we need, and it's you. And I thank you that that is available to every single one of us today. In fact, your Holy Spirit's already there. So fill us up. Stir us up. And stir up our affection and our love towards you, Jesus. And I pray that what happens here this morning would literally change the world, Jesus. I pray that maybe one or two or just everybody in this room would be so filled with your Holy Spirit this morning that the county of Boone County, that the nations would be turned upside down because we couldn't help but proclaim with boldness and power that the tomb is empty, Jesus, that you are alive and salvation is available today. And God, I also maybe pray for the person that's here this morning that doesn't fully know you. Maybe there's some of us in this room that were like, oh, I so want that. I so want to know that I'm saved. I so want to know that I'm accepted. I so want to know that Jesus forgives me and that the Heavenly Father has accepted me, loves me, has adopted me, and has put his Holy Spirit inside of me to give me life and life to the full. Well, God, I pray that today would be a day that we wouldn't wonder, but we would know. I pray that today would be a day that someone surrenders to you because the Holy Spirit is already at work. And if that's you this morning, it's so simple. If you're here and you go, hey, I just want to give my life to Jesus. I want Jesus to invade the depths of my heart and to make me new. Then all the scripture says you have to do is go before him and just say something simple like, hey, Jesus, today I heard your word. And because I believe the Holy Spirit's at work inside of me, I believe. Jesus, I believe you are the unique son of God. I believe you died on the cross in my place for my sin. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me, that you would make me new, that you would fill me with your spirit and give me hope. And I pray that today would be the beginning of the rest of my life following after you, Jesus, is a fully forgiven, fully loved son or daughter of God.
And if you prayed that prayer, the scriptures say that Jesus is faithful to save you. It means that if you prayed that prayer, that the Holy Spirit of God now resides inside of you to give you power, purpose, and meaning. It means you've received gifts that you didn't previously have because the Spirit is inside of you. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to be really bold in this moment. If you maybe prayed that prayer to surrender your life to Jesus and be saved by him, would you just look up at me just so I could walk alongside you, pray with you? Okay, see you. Okay. Friends, we have a lot to worship. We have a lot to be thankful for. So here's what I invite you to do. I invite you just to stay in this moment as the worship team leads us and just sing to Jesus. And I pray that you would be filled. And I pray that you would be just so filled with the Spirit that you would leave here with a boldness that you didn't come in with this morning because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.